Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. I am excited to tell this case to you today, Christy. All I know is that she's taken us to Italy and we have our pronouncenames.com open and ready to go. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done an international case and so I thought it was time that people got to laugh at me again. <laughs> Names are hard to pronounce. They can be, especially when they're ones you're not so familiar with. But Melissa recently was in Italy, so I'm expecting you to do pretty well. This is a case that I actually found while I was in Italy. Oh, really? That is awesome. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Well, I'm excited to hear it. But before we get into it, I want to ask you, Christy, how far would you go to protect your children? As far as I had to. Absolutely, right? Yep. No question. I think we all would. Mm -hmm. You don't mess with a mama bear. Not at all. Mm -mm. Today's dirtbag called on the forces of the supernatural to protect her children. Oh, I love this already. <laughs> I was debating whether I should save this case for Mother's Day or if I should put it in with Halloween. Oh, I think right now in our spooky season is the perfect time for you to choose to do it. Well, I'm glad that you think that because Leonardo Chuanchuelli believed that performing human sacrifices would ensure the safety of her beloved son from the ravages of war. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And if she could make a little money on the side from the byproducts of her black magic, that was just bonus money. This is getting juicy already, I can tell. Uh -huh. I'm not sure if you're profiting off of this. Is it really because you're offering the sacrifice to protect your children? Or that's just a convenient excuse? There are a lot of people that bring up that same point that... Really, did she believe that she was just protecting her children or because she profited so much from her murders? Was it more about the money? That's what I'm thinking so far, but I know absolutely nothing about what you're about to tell me. <laughs> well, the recounts that I'm going to share with you today come largely from retellings and excerpts from an autobiography where Leonardo herself tells her disturbing story. That is so interesting. Now, was she able to profit off of the book that she wrote? No, it was never published. Oh, Okay. Because I know we've talked at length about how we feel about that. <laughs> Which is not good. <laughs> no, not approved. <laughs> no. There have been some pretty big criticisms for Leonardo's recount of her crimes. Her autobiography was written for her psychologist to determine her sanity while in prison. So she had some vested interest in making the story, not just our run-of-the-mill murder-for-money kind of stories. Oh, so she was trying to manipulate the psychiatrist to suggest that she was insane? Yeah, I think that she might have been trying to lean him in that direction. And that's why a lot of her autobiography focuses on the supernatural more than actually the money that she stole from her victims. Right. There are also several claims that the way she describes her soap-making formula are erroneous. But I've chosen to tell the story how Leonardo told it because that's what the courts accepted as evidence against her at the time of her crimes. And because her motives are intertwined with her view of the world, and while that view may not necessarily reflect what was actually happening at the time, it's still her vision and her reality and her story of what drove her to murder. Absolutely. And I always find that that makes it extra chilling when we get to hear right from the murderer's mouth their point of view. Because like you said, that's their reality. That's what they believe. Mm -hmm. 
So Leonardo's story actually begins with her mother's story. It always does. Mm -hmm. Us poor moms get a bad rap when it comes to true crime. Mind you, we are biased with the cases that we're telling because usually people who grew up to be a dirtbag maybe had a skewed relationship with their mother. That is true. And this is definitely the case with Leonardo. Emilia Dinofi was the daughter of a prominent family in Montella di Avenillo in Italy. She was also very beautiful and had some really good potential for marriage. Sounds good so far. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, after leaving a party in her teens, she was assaulted by a man, Mariano Cianciuelli. It's rumored by some historical records that Mariano had purposely assaulted Emilia to secure a marriage with her. <gasps> what a dirtbag! Uh -huh. He was of lower social status and would never have been considered a potential suitor for her wealthy parents. But once she was assaulted by him, she was now damaged goods and had to marry him. Yep. Oh my goodness. When the rape resulted in a pregnancy, Amelia's parents arranged a marriage with her rapist to avoid the scandal and save their daughter's reputation. And after Amelia's marriage, her parents pretty much disowned her because she was now of lower class and had dishonored them. Because she had to marry this dirtbag that they forced her to marry. Mm-hmm. Shame on them. Oh my gosh, I cannot even imagine as a parent doing that to your child. Wouldn't you want revenge for them, let alone, oh, here, go live with your attacker? I am so horrified already. It's going to set the stage for Leonardo's life. Aw. Amelia had to move into a havel with a shared outdoor bathroom with Mariano in his hometown. And it was a huge shock to this young lady that was raised to be of higher society. Wow. So not a big surprise. The marriage was an unhappy one. Can you imagine growing up knowing that you're dad raped your mom and that's why they had to get married and it wasn't hidden from leonarda at all when she was born in april 1894 her mom didn't ever keep that fact hidden from her oh my goodness leonarda was a physical representation of the tragedy that her mother had endured and she became the outlet for all of her mother's anger at the world and to what had happened to her so she totally resented this little girl mm -hmm. which is so sad because it's not leonarda's fault but you can see how that would be so hard for her mother. Yes. Her father wasn't a refuge from her mother at all. For the short time that he was in their lives, he was a drunk. But Leonardo had very little memories of her father. He died from an infectious fever when she was very young. Her only true memory of him was of her mother spitting on his grave. Wow. Arrivederci, Papa. <laughs> we don't need a guy like that in her life. Nope. So her mom tried to go back to her family. She thought that I'm not with Mariano anymore. My family will help me gain my status back. And they rejected her. No way. Mm -hmm. Amelia, after spending time in the lower circles of society and trying to find a way for herself, remarried a man that was willing to ignore Leonardo in order to access her pretty mother. Leonardo's life didn't improve very much after the marriage at all. While the family had money at times, it was quickly spent on keeping her parents happy. Leonardo was left at home to her own devices and neglected. And when there was an interaction with her mother, it was always negative. Oh, that's a rough way to grow up. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about how neglect and abuse on a child's psyche actually changes the way that their brains are wired. And Leonardo most likely had difficulties with trust and would develop a huge threat bias. Her view of the world would have been a wary one, one that had little hope. She would always have that expectation that she was going to be harmed or not taken care of. 
And often children that are raised in these environments, they learn to strike out first in order to protect themselves because they've been taught to believe that no one else is going to protect them or the things that they care about. So sad. Mm -hmm. And so they really don't learn how to form any real attachments either. No. The emotional abuse by her mother led her to try and kill herself on two separate occasions. Aww. At the age of 13, she tried to strangle herself with bed sheets, but the noose that she had formed with her tiny hands gave way and she fell from the ceiling rafters. She reports that she was unable to speak for a week and that her mother never noticed anything at all was wrong. What? Mm-hmm. So that shows how often she actually would even speak to her daughter. Yeah, she just totally ignored her. She tried one more time to hang herself a year later, but that attempt failed as well. The only time that Amelia took some notice of her daughter was as she matured. For Amelia, she thought this was going to be her meal ticket back into higher society. Her focus became finding her daughter a respectable husband, one that was wealthy enough to pay for her upkeep as well. That's so crazy to me because she knows what it feels like to be pawned off on a man by her parents, yet she's willing to do it to her daughter. It is true, but at the same time, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of what time period this is. That was just what was done back then. That's true. And she's never really looked at Leonarda as her daughter. It's just been the rapist's daughter. She doesn't even regard her as really even a person. Ugh. It's just a pawn to be used for her. Right. According to Leonarda, her mother never even consulted her about any of her ambitions that she had for her future. And left to her own devices, as she had been all of her life, Leonardo started to look for a marriage on her own, knowing that the only way to escape her childhood home was to find a husband of her own. Yeah, quite common for that time. Mm -hmm. Leonardo was attracted to an older government clerk, Raphael Pensardi, who could provide her with stability. She believed that her mother's opposition to the union was because she wanted to keep her daughter underfoot. Amelia never told Leonardo about any other possible suitors. When Leonardo refused to follow her mother's commands and married Raphael in 1917, Amelia cursed her daughter for choosing a man that Leonardo had picked herself. Amelia told her that she would live a miserable life until she died and never spoke to her daughter again after that. Yeah, she's not winning any Mother of the Year awards. Nope. Since her youth, though, Leonardo had been raised to believe in curses. Italian folklore was prevalent during Leonardo's childhood. Stregoria was a traditional Italian form of what might have been called a witchcraft that was kind of mixed with Christianity. This was the environment that Leonardo grew up in. The idea of a curse was a very real thing to her. She had always been interested in palm reading and fortune telling since a little girl. The idea of being able to have some security about the future appealed to her. If she knew what was going to happen, then she could prepare for it. And when you look at her life growing up, it's not a big surprise that she would find comfort in that. If she knew when her mom was going to be present, she could prepare for the abuse or avoid it. If she knew the times that she would be left alone with only scraps to eat while her parents went out on the town, she could prepare and stockpile food for future use. Leonardo took her mother's curse very seriously. And it, along with her internal voice that said that she wasn't good enough, drove her to become a perfectionist. Oh man, we're getting into a recipe for disaster, I can tell. Mm -hmm. According to reports made by her husband, Leonardo became anxious and fitful when she could not have things work out the way that she wanted them to. And apparently her fits, which some describe as seizures, would make her bedridden for days at a time. Oh my! So there was no official diagnosis that I could find for these fits, but it seemed that they were brought on by her anxiety. Wow. And because she was a perfectionist and always needing things to be a certain way, she actually had a lot of anxiety. Because nothing ever goes totally how you want it to, or no. very rarely does it. 
Exactly. It never does, really. No. And when you're a perfectionist, sometimes even when it's going well, it doesn't happen exactly the way you want it. And so other people are viewing it as like, this is going fine. And you see the differences. And so it was just this perpetual cycle for her. Yeah, totally. And when you've been living in fight or flight your whole life, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. Nothing's ever quite perfect. No, you're always on edge. Which just led to Leonardo having even more anxiety. Interesting. And we know that our mental state totally affects our physical. Yeah. And so she would have these, what they called fits. And other people in modern day have kind of associated that to having like actual seizures where she would fall down and not be able to like move while she was having these fits. And so they think that it's some sort of seizure disorder maybe happening. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. In her early marriage, she attended a traveling Romani fair. Around the area where Leonardo lived, there was a large population of nomadic Romanis who promoted the belief in curses, palm, and tarot readings. After telling the Romani fortune teller about a curse that had been pronounced by her mother, the fortune teller tells Leonardo that she will live a long life of sadness and outlive all of her children. No way! Mm -hmm. Leonardo believed that this was confirmation of her mother's curse. Yeah, totally! Every time she burnt supper or could not complete her household chores to her standard, she believed that this was because her mother cursed her. Mom, did you curse me because I burned dinner last night? <laughs> I honestly did. I don't know if you could smell it when you came in. No. I tried to make spring rolls. So much work, took so much time, and I burnt them. <gasps> oh, no. Maybe my mom cursed me. Maybe. I can't see your mom cursing you, though. No, I don't think so. <laughs> But for Leonardo, she just thought that the curse was real, and that's why she struggled so much in her life. Leonardo had failed to become pregnant in the early years of her marriage, and this was like an ultimate failure to her because the thing she wanted most was to be a mother. She wanted the chance to be the perfect mother and make up for her own childhood. Aww. She finally got pregnant three years after being married, but it wasn't a joyous time. The pregnancy caused Leonardo's anxiety and her fits to increase, and sadly, she lost the baby. Again, to Leonardo, this was just another confirmation that the curse was real. Oh, man. You can see how she would think that. But then she's also going to be focusing on all the negative things in her life. Mm -hmm. With this first pregnancy, it really sounds like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. That she was just so anxious that she wouldn't be able to carry the baby. That her anxiety increased and then she actually had seizures that caused her to fall and lose the baby. Oh, that is so sad. Mm-hmm. In 1921, Raphael and Leonardo moved to his hometown in Loria in modern-day Potenza. In Raphael's hometown, for a short while, Leonardo's health improved. With the stability and support of his extended family, Leonardo gave birth to their first child in 1922, Giuseppe. This little boy would be the apple of his mother's eye. Aww. But as it frequently does with new mothers, Leonardo's anxiety returned, and so did her seizures. Her constant worry about Giuseppe's health and providing for his future was just too much for her. Her failing health and Raphael's struggles to provide for his family were proof that, again, her mother's curse would stop her family from being healthy and prosperous. That would be really tough because as a first-time mom, you worry so much anyways. But then to believe the words that have been said to you about how you're going to outlive all your children, I just can't even imagine that extra stress that would put. And because she believes so much in these fortune tellers and the supernatural of curses, she felt that it was just a confirmed thing that was going to happen to her. And it actually is hard to dissuade that belief because Leonardo would get pregnant another 15 times during her marriage to Raphael. She would have two more miscarriages and seven of her children would die before the age of three and three more died 
before they reached adulthood. No way. Mm -hmm. Only four children would remain out of the 14 born alive. (gasps) That is so heartbreaking for her. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine one woman going through that. To be pregnant 17 times and lose that many children. Yeah. What a tragedy. I would start to believe I was cursed as well. Mm -hmm. Honestly. When it came to her children, the fortune teller's reading seemed to come true, as almost a third of her children passed away from mysterious illnesses. So you couldn't even explain what some of them passed away from? No. Sometimes the deaths were sudden and completely unforeseeable. The death of her 10th child was a particularly hard blow to Leonarda. She had been struggling to cope with her anxiety and allowing her children even out of her sight. She had become a helicopter parent and was always having to be present and never leaving her children's side. She always believed that her children were on the verge of death. Any little cold or a cut she believed would be the death of them. Her behavior, while I think we can understand, was not healthy. And her husband and his family recognized that. It's not healthy, but who can blame her? That's what I mean. We can totally understand why she's having those fears. Yeah. But Raphael and his family convinced Leonardo that it would be good for her to have some time away from the children so that she could see that they would be okay without her. The only time that she would agree to leave them was when her children were safely tucked away in their beds at night. So she took a job cleaning the bank at nighttime. And for a while, the job seemed to help. She enjoyed cleaning. Putting things in order gave her a sense of calm. And she didn't mind working with chemicals and getting her hands dirty. She reveled in the routine of it all. Then one night, as she worked, her son died in his sleep. No! Mm Mm-hmm. Stop it. It's so sad. Tragedy just abounded in Leonardo's life. Okay, her mom actually legitimately cursed her. Yeah. How can this happen to one woman? It is super sad. And Raphael had thought it would be kind not to come and get her during her night shift to tell her that another one of their sons had passed away in his sleep. He simply just waited for her to come home after her shift. He just thought that there was nothing else that he could do for their son. So he thought he was being kind by not telling her right away. But this devastated Leonardo even more. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Call your wife. (laughs) Something like that happens. Raphael just expected that she would again fall into poor health. But after grieving their child, Leonardo returned to work with a new zeal that no one had expected. But she also hadn't told anybody about her plan to ensure that all of her children would have proper bills of health. Oh no. The family was not well off, and while they managed to feed and clothe their children, doctor's visits were not something that they could afford. And so she just had this obsession with the idea that if she could pay for doctor's checkups, then she would be able to keep her children safe, that they wouldn't keep dying from these mysterious illnesses. Hmm. And so this became like a true obsession for her. So she's saving her money to take them to the doctor. Really saving her money because while she was working again at the bank late at night, she started to forge bank ledgers and put large sums of money into fake accounts. But then when she tried to withdraw the money from the fake accounts, she was promptly caught and convicted of fraud and was sentenced to 19 months in prison in 1927. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. And fired from her job. Yeah, she lost her (laughs) job, but she was willing to break the law to protect her children. And I don't even know how much judgment I can place on her for that. If you thought your children were going to die and going to the doctor was the only thing that was going to save them. Yeah, I don't know if I can really blame her too much for attempting that, to be honest. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you can totally understand and even justify what she did. Yeah, because how else was she going to get her kids to the doctor? Right. 
But when she was released from prison, her family was even more poverty-stricken. Because of her criminal behavior, Raphael had lost his job, and his family didn't want very much to do with them at all. So it totally backfired. Mm-hmm. Raphael and Leonardo took their family to Lacedonia, and once again, the curse would wreak havoc in their lives, according to Leonardo. On July 23, 1930, the ruthless Irapinia earthquake hit. It was one of the most destructive earthquakes in Italy's history. Despite not losing anyone or her family, and being among thousands that had lost their homes, Leonardo again took this as a sign that the curse would never leave, and that she really was going to be destitute and miserable her whole life. And after this earthquake, she entered into a deep depression because she just thought there was no hope for her, almost becoming catatonic. While Leonardo struggled with her depression, Raphael moved his destitute family of six to the northern regions of Italy to once again start over. They settled in Correggio, a small village nestled between two bodies of water. The family was warmly welcomed by the community because they were refugees from the earthquake. None of their past history mattered to the new village. When Leonardo didn't return their hospitality and warm wishes, because she was almost catatonic with her depression, they understood that she needed time to adjust after the tragedy that she had just been through. Raphael was given a job, and the four remaining children began to thrive in the new town without the constant interference of their mother. So up until their move to this town, they really hadn't been allowed to even interact with other children because Leonardo was just so afraid of them dying. Yeah, catching some kind of cold that would kill them. Mm -hmm. Or playing too harshly outside and getting a cut and then getting an infection. Falling from a tree. Yeah, she was super protective of them. And this just sounds so nice for her and her family right now. You just wish that that would be like, okay, the end. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, when Leonardo started to come out of her depression, she actually saw that her family was doing well. And she started to rationalize with herself that the curse must have finally been lifted or at least quieted it. She believed that the reason why the earthquake had been so devastating to Italy was because it was the last of the curse's magic being expelled. And so with that belief that the curse had finally run out, she began to kind of turn her life around. She made friends and found a place for herself with the locals at Correggio. She opened up a shop in their rented home and used her knowledge of chemicals to start making soap for the locals. Oh, amazing. Her attention to detail and perfectionism made her really successful at it. She created lovely smelling soaps in a boutique-like atmosphere where women would meet and purchase the latest scents. And as her business grew, Leonardo's reputation grew. And the women would gather at the shop to gossip and receive advice from Leonardo. I would have been all over that kind of a shop if I lived there at that time. Yeah. There's just something about like a homemade bath and body works kind of stuff. Well, she had even started to offer like tea and cakes for her waiting customers. And Leonardo loved the attention. She was now this person that people sought advice from. And she had been through so much that she felt she could give it. Right? And as women, it's just such a fun little shop to go into. We have a similar type shop like that in our small town. And it's such a lovely little shop. Mm -hmm. During this time, Leonardo did remain an extremely superstitious woman. The only reason she believed that her family was experiencing peace at last was because the curse had been lifted or at least was being kept at bay. She maintained her relationships with the Romanis that would travel through the town from time to time. She was drawn to their teachings about fortune telling, astrology, and palm reading, and especially teachings about curses. She would have them read her palm to tell her to prepare for things in the future, and in one reading she was told that a prison was foreseen in her right hand and a criminal asylum in the left. She had been to prison once before, and now she feared being sent to an asylum. 
This reading drove her to expand her knowledge with occult texts, searching for protection. So she's doing good. She felt, okay, the curse from my mother has been lifted. And then she has her palm read again, and she gets this whole new kind of curse or this whole new future that she now needs to fear. So now she has this doomsday mentality once again. Yeah. So she's searching for protection again. And she actually searches so much and learns so much about the occult and all the Italian folklore that she feels that she's studied and learned enough to actually start offering her customers their own readings if they were open to that sort of thing. At this time, it was still kind of a hidden practice. Hmm, a little taboo. Mm-hmm. But in the smaller villages, it was much more practiced than in the larger cities. And so she's in the smaller village, people that showed an openness to her reading their tea leaves or reading their palms, she would provide that for them because she had done so much studying herself. And she would perfect her practice and then offer tarot card readings, make charm bags and do protective spells for her customers. Why didn't she ever put a protective spell on herself? And her family. That's what she goes on to do. With each correct prediction, she grew more confident and believed herself to be more in control. Not only just over herself, but over others as well. And her business of reading and protecting futures was just as popular as her soap business was. True to her nature, if she was going to be a clairvoyant, she wanted to be the best. So she studied and practiced a lot. With her knowledge, she gained even more confidence that there had been a curse on her, which pushed her even more to study protection spells for her family. And her belief in superstition isn't that surprising given the time or the mind's need to make sense of things that really just don't make any sense, like all the tragedies that Leonardo had experienced her whole life. Without a logical reason why those things had happened, Leonardo chalked it all up to magic and studied even more to know how to control that magic to stop the tragedy from ever happening again. Mm. This was the mind frame that Leonardo had when her beloved Giuseppe, who had studied literature at the University of Milan and worked as a tutor at the National College of Correggio, came home and told her that he had joined the Italian army and would report the following November. Oh, she must have been freaking out. Mm -hmm. It was 1939, and Italy, after not faring well in the First World War, was eager to join the Second World War to win back territory under Mussolini's direction. So in preparation for Italy to join the front, Giuseppe had joined the army without his mother's knowledge. So this was right before Italy was going to join the war. Mm -hmm. So then that would have put a lot of pressure on her that I have to prevent my son from going before he actually has to go. That's right. And Giuseppe knew that she would not allow him to join the war. And so that's why he had done it in secret behind her back. She wouldn't have. No, she wouldn't have at all. He was totally right. Leonardo had memories of the First World War and Giuseppe's joining of the army was like the same thing as a death sentence to her. There was no way that she would let him leave. So her first line of action was to try and get Giuseppe to go back on his word. But after coming to terms with the fact that there was no way for Giuseppe to take back his enlistment, Leonardo set to work studying the best way to protect her son from her mother's curse, because now she's thinking, oh, the curse is back. Because she believed the curse had been placed by magic, she started to believe that the only way to break it must also be through magic. She turned to alchemy, which has a rule of equivalent exchange. You can't get anything without first giving up something in return. If she wanted to save Giuseppe's life, she would have to sacrifice one. Oh no! Leonardo tells in her memoirs that this was a big decision for her. It wasn't a decision she took lightly. She was actually a really squeamish person, not even able to kill her own chickens. Like even though it was cheaper at the time to purchase your chicken and just slaughter it yourself, she couldn't bring herself to do that. So she would purchase them already butchered. Oh man, 
I can see where this is going and it's not going to be good. No. So she claims she wasn't a murderous person, but as a mother, she would do what she felt needed to be done. In her journal, she records, I can't bear the loss of another child. Almost every night I dream of small white coffins of those others, swallowed one after the other by the black earth. That's why I studied magic. I read books that talked about palmistry, astronomy, spells, hexes, spiritism. I wanted to learn everything about spells to be able to neutralize them. Ooh, that's super creepy. Mm-hmm. But I totally believe that that was where her mindset was at the time. Absolutely. That's what spurred her on to be studying the supernatural. Yeah, I can see how she would have felt that way. Mm -hmm. She devises a plan that was very methodical that would allow her to maintain control over Giuseppe's future and neutralize any threat. The candidate that she chose for the sacrifice was Faustina Setti. Faustina was an elderly spinster woman who had been visiting Leonardo for over a year in hopes of finding a husband. Her efforts, much to the amusement of the local gossip chain, had been in vain. At her advanced age, it was considered pretty ridiculous that she would even try to obtain a marriage match. Yet, she remained hopeful, and that's what brought her to Leonardo's soap shop, searching for love. Oh no. So she's going to prey on an elderly, lonely woman. Mm -hmm. Leonardo used this poor woman's desire for a husband as a ruse to cover up her own murder. Over a few months... Through a series of fake letters, Leonardo convinced Faustina that she knew of a wealthy older gentleman that was looking for a woman just like her. The only catch was that the man lived far away in Pola, and that he didn't want his family learning of this union, so she wasn't to tell anybody. Faustina was so thrilled with the suitor's letters and the prospect of marriage that she didn't give it a second thought. She just sold her home and dyed her hair for her new mate. Oh no, this just makes it extra cruel that she's playing on her heartstrings to lure her into murder. Mm -hmm. One morning, late in 1939, Faustina came to the soap shop to bid Leonardo goodbye. While she was there, Leonardo convinced her that it would be wise for her to write some letters and postcards to her family and friends so that they would not be worried about her. Leonardo encouraged her to mail them once she had arrived in Pola and was happily married. By that time, she would know for sure that she was happy and that no one would try to intervene or stop her. The two toasted with a glass of wine, Leonardo's a fine local vintage, and Faustina's heavily drugged. With her victim now subdued, Leonardo came up from behind and took an axe to her head. No, an axe! Mm -hmm. That's such a gruesome way for yeah. someone who's squeamish about murder. Mm -hmm. The blow was fatal. Yeah. She dragged Faustina's body to the small room off the kitchen and there dismembered her into nine pieces and hung them with basins underneath to catch the blood. Is she going to make soap out of her? Uh-huh. Oh, no. Yeah. Just when you said she profits and she has a soap company. With Faustina, she's at least going to try to do that. While waiting for the blood to drain, Leonardo went about cleaning the kitchen of blood splatter and hiding Faustina's belongings in the house. So once drained of blood, she threw the pieces that had once been a kind elderly woman into a large pot that she used to make soap and added seven kilos of caustic soda and left it on the stove to boil. While it was rendering, she dried the coagulated blood in the oven and then ground it into a powder. She mixed that powder with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk and eggs and margarine and made lots of tea cakes, which she then fed to Giuseppe. To her son to save him. Uh-huh. Leonardo believed that for her protection spell to work, she had to have her son consume the blood of a person that was offered in his stead. So she made it into little cakes for him. She was not put off by trying some herself, especially because she knew she had to critique her work. 
She later said that she found the cakes a little dry, but not awful enough that she wouldn't offer them to company, which she did in the days that followed. Oh my goodness. Adding blood to baked goods or cooking was a common practice in Italian folklore, and there is still some cookbooks today that call for it as an ingredient. What? Mm-hmm. But animal blood? No. Human blood? Yes. There's this whole mother-in-law one recipe that is very interesting. How to get your mother-in-law to like you. Feed her blood? Mm-hmm. Human blood? I'm like <laughs> bewildered. Yeah. Along with Leonardo's belief that the blood that was ingested would protect Giuseppe from any internal harm, she also believed that he would need something that could protect him from external harm. She believed that if she could make a soap out of the rendered fats from the human sacrifice, that he could clean his body and that it would spread the protection over every part of him. This is where Leonardo's plan failed. Faustina had been a slight woman, and in Leonardo's words, the mixture on the stove had turned into a thick, dark mush, and not something that she could make soap out of. She had Giuseppe dispose of the failed attempt into a nearby septic tank. Then she sent him off to Pola to take care of some business, and while there, she had him mail the two letters and two postcards. So did he know what he was discarding or what the letters were? No. He and his mother maintained during the trial that no, he never knew what he was doing. And can you imagine how ticked off you would be to know that your mom fed you cakes made out of a dead woman that she murdered? We'll get there. Oh. After Faustina's murder, Leonardo was even more obsessed with protecting Giuseppe. She's a perfectionist. She needs to try again. While she had collected 30,000 lira from Faustina's belongings and life savings, she had failed to create a perfect protection spell for her son. But now she's going to be looking for a curvy lady to make better soap. Mm-hmm. To gain the protection that she so desperately needed, she started researching why the spell had not worked and came to the conclusion that the sacrifice was not a suitable replacement for her beloved son. She would need to try again. But how does she know it doesn't work just because the soap didn't work? Yeah. So she didn't have anything to rub all over the outside of him. Okay. Her next victim was Francesca Suavi. She was a middle-aged widow that was in need of a way to support herself. She had previously been a school teacher, but after the death of her husband, had struggled to find a way to support herself. She came to Leonardo looking for help. Leonardo told her that a job awaited her in northern Italy, a teaching job at a private all-girls school. Again, the only catch was that no one could be told. The headmaster wished for the location of the school to be kept private to maintain the confidentiality of the students. Yeah, that doesn't sound suspicious at all. Yeah, right? Apparently, Francesca was desperate enough or trusted Leonardo enough to believe that this was true. And honestly, why wouldn't you trust her? She is actually friendly with these women. These are women that come to her shop. Yeah, she's providing a service, she's making friends, and they welcomed her with open arms. Mm -hmm. She followed the instructions and sold off all of her possessions as quickly as possible. She just believed Leonardo's advice that the trip would be made easier if she was only traveling with money. Where really it's just so Leonardo can take that money. Right, and it's easier to get rid of than a whole bunch of possessions that the other person left behind. And it would add to the fake story that these women are actually skipping town. Mm-hmm. On September 5th, 1940, Francesca met the same fate as Faustina. She too had left letters for two friends behind to be mailed, telling them of her new job in the north and not to be concerned about her. Leonardo was again able to make tea cakes from the collected blood and again failed to make a batch of soap that was up to her standards. No way. The second batch wasn't any better than the first. She had been so sure that the yellow fat that she had seen on Francesca's body would work to make the protective soap, but it hadn't. Again, she felt like the sacrifice had been rejected and the vat was dumped out. 
She did, however, pocket 2,000 lire from Francesca's savings and hid her belongings again in her home and quickly started searching her books to find why the spell had not worked. Again, she came to the conclusion that the sacrifice was not equal to her Giuseppe. Her next victim had to be someone that she would be sad to lose. That was the comparison that she needed. Someone that meant something to her. She's not going to kill one of her other kids, is she? No, and I thought about that, but they're still her children. Yeah, yes. and she's trying to protect her children. Right, and there are some reports that say that she was trying to kill four victims to protect all of her four children, but her records show this is why she needed the three people. It wasn't that she was actually after multiple people. It was that she just kept failing at making this acceptable soap. Right. And Giuseppe is the only one who's under imminent danger in her eyes right now anyways. Right. And there were some things that alluded to that maybe she wasn't as attached to the other children because Giuseppe was her first that had lived. And so she had a really, really strong bond with him. But as the other ones came along, she had lost babies in between. And so with each new baby, she got less and less attached because she felt that they were just going to be taken from her. Mm hmm. So there was definitely a notice preference between Giuseppe and his other siblings. He had two younger brothers and a younger sister, and he was by far the favorite child. And you can totally understand that, too. She was probably experiencing some postpartum depression, and we can't even imagine what she was going through at that time. That would have interfered with her bonding ability with her other, other children. Yeah, I think that largely plays a role into why Giuseppe was just so special for her. Yeah. So she has to go out and look for somebody that's going to be equal to Giuseppe. Virginia Cacioppo was a former soprano opera singer who had come to live in the village when her career had taken a downward turn. Because of her fame, at first she was Leonardo's rival for the attention of the locals, but the rivalry soon turned to friendship and mutual admiration. Virginia was a kindred spirit, a kind and loving one that Leonardo would truly miss. So she's going to off her bestie. Yep. Oh, what a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. But that, to her, was the equal sacrifice of her son and her best friend. I definitely wouldn't have picked my friend. <laughs> You're safe, girl. Okay, good. <laughs> she knew, though, what her friend desired most was return to her former glory and fame, to sing again on the big stage. Virginia had even told Leonardo that she had planned to leave town to pursue her dreams again. When she had first learned of this, Leonardo had been hurt by her friend's perceived abandonment of her. But in light of her need for a suitable sacrifice, Virginia's plan to leave town was serendipitous. Well, that makes me almost feel like it's not really the equal sacrifice because she knows her friend's leaving anyway. So that's just kind of convenient. It's convenient and I can actually see the hurt playing into it too because she's leaving her, right? Yeah, so it's a little spiteful or a little revenge. You're leaving me anyway, so you're going to be my next victim. Because mm -hmm. if I have to be without you, I might as well protect my son while I'm doing it. Yeah, I think there were a little bit of ulterior motives with this one too. But Leonardo had to make sure that the leaving was on her terms so that she could cover it up properly. Leonardo told her friend that she had heard of a job in Florence that had become available as a secretary for a mysterious impresario, one that might be able to pave the path for her to return to the stage. Leonardo took weeks to build up the lie with Virginia. It's just extra despicable that she's using what these women want most out of life to manipulate them. And she learned what they wanted most out of life from a trusted position. Yeah. Like the others, Virginia was instructed to tell no one. 
This time, Leonardo said the secrecy was because of the way that she had obtained the information. So there were some rumors that she had obtained the information through like a sordid love affair. Hmm. On November 30th, 1940, Virginia came to her friend's soap shop to say goodbye. There, like the woman before her, she wrote her letters and met her end. This time, both the cakes and the soap were of sacrificial quality. Leonardo attributed it to Virginia's fine white fat. Of the soap, she said that it was the most acceptable creamy soap. And of the cake, she claimed that they were better than the others, saying that that woman was really sweet. Oh, that gives a whole new meaning to she's such a sweetie. Mm -hmm. But now this will reiterate to her that it had to be an equal sacrifice and that's why it worked. Yeah, it just reinforces her belief in all of these superstitious acts and the magic that she feels that she's performing. But with Virginia, the soap that she made with Virginia's body, she actually went into Virginia's suitcase and into her things and rummaged through to find the scent that she was wearing, like her cologne, and (gasps) poured that into the soap that she then used for Giuseppe. So not only did it contain Virginia, it smelled like her perfume. Mm -hmm. That's diabolical. That's getting a different sense of enjoyment out of that, I think. Well, she just needed that extra essence of her, I guess. Yeah. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? With the cakes and soap made to her satisfaction, she fed Giuseppe the cakes and then ensured that every part of his body was washed with soap made from Virginia's rendered body. How did she make sure that? Well, to be certain that nothing was left to chance, she personally sponge bathed her grown son. Oh no! Ew! Yeah. You're crossing the line, hun. Uh-huh. Can you- okay, I'm picturing our husbands. If either of their mothers asked to personally bathe every inch of their bodies, they would be like, um, nope, see you later, mom. Yeah. This was humiliating for him to have his mother wash him, and it just reaffirmed his desire to leave home. Yeah, no kidding. Oh my goodness. To be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Uh, Yeah, I can't imagine how she talked him into it. But I think that it was more because... He would have been fearful that she would go into one of her fits, right? And that he knew how fragile she was. He had been raised with her his whole life being this overprotective, demanding mother, Mm -hmm. all for his protection. So there would have been this really close bond and he would have been used to kind of giving into what she needed done for her own sanity. Right. And she probably was saying things like, I'm your mother. Don't be weird about it. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Either way, super awkward. Yeah. The extra cakes and soaps were gifted and sold to her customers. Well, she didn't want to waste them. No, she's very frugal. But why wouldn't, okay, if she's wanting this for all of her children and stuff, why wouldn't she have just saved it and used it on all of her children? Maybe she did. Maybe. I don't know. That never comes out in her memoirs. Hmm. With full confidence that the protection spell would prevent any harm for Giuseppe, Leonardo was in a mood to celebrate. She began to spend money, more money than she had ever spent before. From each of her victims, she had collected their life savings. From Virginia alone, she had stolen almost 50,000 lire, almost a full year's wage for her. Oh, wow. Yeah, not to mention a wealth of her jewelry and fine clothes, which she then sold. And so it does make you question what her true motive was, or was she just being, again, frugal? I think her real motive was to protect her son. But she took advantage of this kind of avenue as well. Well, who wouldn't, though? Mm -hmm. She was brazen enough to sell some of the clothing and give some of the jewelry away. And she even cashed in some registered savings bonds that were registered to Virginia. What? Mm Mm-hmm. 
But after selling cakes and soaps made with her victims and nobody being any of the wiser, I bet you she was feeling pretty invincible. Oh, yeah. And just what is going on in her mind watching people eat those cakes? She ate them herself. Oh. But we have to keep reminding ourselves that for Italian folklore, they actually have recipe books with feeding people other people's blood. But that can't be common. That can't be in every grandma's recipe collection. No, but it wasn't unheard of. Like we think of it and our guts are turning, right? It sounds so gross. But there it's actually not. Yeah, but they can't be promoting murder. Like where are they supposed to get this blood from in the cookbook? Well, they're not supposed to drain a whole person's body with it. That's for sure. It was because of her protection spell that she needed the actual sacrifice of the whole person. But normally, where do you get that blood for the cookbook? They just like cut their finger and drain it in like just a couple of drops of blood. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm like at two and a half cups of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Just a couple of drops, Christy. (laughs) Okay, not what I was picturing. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. And then you sneak it into your mother-in-law's tea and then she'll like you. (laughs) But Leonardo just went around feeling pretty invincible that she had done all these things without anybody else being any of the wiser. And so then she started spending like crazy. But her victims' disappearances weren't unnoticed by everybody. Virginia's sister-in-law, Albertina Fanti, was not convinced by the letter that she had received in the mail. Virginia had not completely followed Leonardo's admonition not to tell a soul. And her sister-in-law was aware that Virginia was meeting a man for employment and that Leonardo was helping her with the introductions. She went to Leonardo to find out more information, but Leonardo's answers just made her even more skeptical. She was even more uneasy when Leonardo offered her a reading of her own future. This just did not sit right with her. She wasn't a fan of magic, and she believed that Leonardo was just manipulating people using their wishes and desires. Albertina went to the police and reported Virginia missing and cast suspicion right on Leonardo. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some discrepancies in many of the historical accounts as to whether the sister-in-law or some local neighbor also reported to the police that they had seen Virginia enter Leonardo's house on the 30th of September. And when they had not seen her leave, an hour and 40 minutes later, the witness had wandered over to see what gossip the two women were discussing. The witness told police when she arrived that Leonardo welcomed her inside, but Virginia was nowhere to be found. The two women chatted for a bit, and the witness noticed that there was a nauseous, bubbling mixture in a large pot on the stove, but at the time really didn't think anything about it. It wasn't uncommon for a soap maker to be rendering down fats and chemicals in the soap making process. And so she just thought she was working and found it odd that she had seen Virginia go in, but she hadn't seen Virginia come out in the hour and 40 minutes that she was kind of watching the house. But how in an hour and 40 minutes did she have her in there, have her write the letters, if they had some wine together like the other ones had, and then chop her up and already have her on the stove and all the blood cleaned up? That's what the police thought too. During the preliminary investigations, the police questioned Leonardo, but kind of dismissed her as a suspect because she was this kind old woman, a devoted mother, who had this respectable soap shop and really had no clear motive. And how the heck would she ever accomplish that? In such a short time frame. Mm-hmm. And this soap shop is the perfect front for her. Absolutely it was. She really thought through how to do this. But even though the police didn't think that... Leonardo had done this, they still had this missing woman on their hands. Mm-hmm. And as they investigated more, they actually found the two other women had mysteriously kind of disappeared or recently left town after having interactions with Leonardo. And so they are suspicious of what's going on in this soap shop. 
little did they know the horrific things that were actually happening. Mm -hmm. At first, they don't really think that she has anything to do with it at all. And they don't even know that these women are murdered. Mm -mm. So police tracked down the letters that were sent to the friends and family members of the three women that had disappeared under suspicious circumstances. They interviewed the people at the post offices and obtained a description of the person that had dropped off the letters. From this description, police set their sights on Giuseppe because he was the one that had dropped off the letters. Right. They searched the family home where they found all of the suitcases and clothing that belonged to the three missing women. Police arrested Giuseppe, thinking that this all makes sense now. It wasn't the frail old woman who was to blame, but the young strapping boy who was leaving town with the army and needed money for his travels. Yeah, you totally would, because normally that is who your perpetrator is. It's mm -hmm. not usually a woman to begin with, let alone a more elderly woman now as she would have been considered in her community. Yeah, they didn't buy Giuseppe's innocent act at all, and he was arrested by the Reggio Emilia police. They even remain skeptical when Leonardo turns herself in and tells them that she is solely responsible for the murders. So she comes forward and is like, no, 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 you've got it wrong. It's not my beloved Giuseppe. It was me all the time. She does not want to see any harm come to her son. And they think this is just a caring mom falling on the sword, probably. Yep. They're all like, yeah, right. All by yourself. There's no way that you killed and butchered three women. They didn't believe that she would have the strength or the size needed. And they just figured that she was trying to protect her son. They didn't actually really start to believe her until she started telling them all this crazy stuff of exactly what she had done to these women. When she started to tell them these things that shocked and horrified them, that's when they started to pay attention to her confessions and started to regard her as someone that was perhaps quite dangerous. Poor Giuseppe had a front row to his mother's confessions to the police, and he listened to his mother tell the police how she had sacrificed women and made tea cakes and soap out of their bodies to protect him. And there were some reports that say he started to vomit wildly because he realized that the tea cakes that she was speaking of were the ones that she had fed him, and the soap was the one that she had insisted on washing him with. Oh, he was literally bathed in the blood of his mother's sins. That is so horrific. You would never be the same. No. For Giuseppe, it was hard to believe that his mother had done all these things. But her story did match up with the things that he had been asked to do. Giuseppe later learned that the packages that his mother had asked him to throw into the river had actually been the bones of her victims. No way. Mm -hmm. So he had participated unknowingly. Leonardo was incarcerated when she confessed, but her trial didn't start until 1946 because of World War II. Italy, along with the rest of the world, was a little preoccupied. And did Giuseppe serve? Mm -hmm. While awaiting the trial, the police continued to collect evidence against her. They tracked down the clothing and jewelry that she had sold and the registered bonds that she had cashed in. Raphael tried to be supportive to his wife during this time, but it would prove too much for him. The town shunned him, and he turned to drinking. He died shortly after this ordeal. Oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about him. Where was he during all of this? He didn't notice any of this stuff happening either? He was out doing his own thing, working his own job. There were some reports that he was maybe a little bit of an alcoholic and not around much. And he probably was just looking at as... Oh, that's Leonardo's women's work. She's working on her soap stuff. That's boring. That's mm -hmm. her thing. Mm -hmm. 
During the trial, prosecutors still had a hard time believing that Leonarda had worked alone and attacked her confession, saying that she had lied because caustic soda could not have been used in the way that she described. But Leonarda was adamant about her procedure and laid it all out for the court again, exactly the same way that she had laid it out for the police. They continued to lay suspicion on Giuseppe, and this angered Leonardo enough that she challenged them to let her prove that she was capable of dismembering a body by herself without Giuseppe's help. Her ability was proven with a demonstration at the local morgue. They let her chop up a body. Mm -hmm. With all of her research and practice, Leonardo proved that she could dismember a body in 12 minutes. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. 12 minutes? Yep. So not only could she do it, she could do it better than any man in that town. Yeah. And that hour and 40 minutes that that witness had saw Virginia go in, that timeline was just concretely established then that, yes, absolutely, she could have sat with her, killed her, dismembered her, and had her in a pot by the time the witness came around. Yeah, that only took her 12 minutes. Can you imagine the police going to that family of that body in the morgue? Can we get your permission to let this suspected murderer chop up your loved one's body just so we can time her and see how well she can do it or back then did they even ask for permission i doubt they even asked for permission but i'm fairly certain that it was like an unclaimed body that they used even still that's so disrespectful yeah. but it wasn't somebody that they knew whose body it was or maybe someone who was going to be cremated or yeah maybe i don't know sorry i get hung up on those little details sometimes yeah like whose body did they actually use so crazy but that's what they let her do during the trial, she would go on to answer questions openly about the reasons why she had committed the murder and did not try to hide any of the details. She showed no remorse for what she had done. To her, her actions made complete sense and were 100% justifiable to save her son's life. I think she really believes that. Oh, she totally 100% believed that. Yeah. Leonardo was found guilty after just three days of trial. During the proceedings, Leonardo's behavior had progressively deteriorated, and right before the judge's eyes, she seemed to be coming unhinged. She was proudly declaring her control over the fates to protect her child from curses. Yeah, that's so wild. Mm -hmm. It was determined by the examining physicians and the judge that she did suffer from some sort of mental illness that had driven her to murder. So for her sentence, on top of the 30 years that she was to serve in prison, she was also sentenced three years in an asylum at the end of her prison sentence. So that one reading came true. Absolutely true. The fortune that she had received from the remaining fortune teller so many years before was accurate. She received a prison on one hand and an asylum on the other. Whoa. Just gives you the creeps, doesn't it? It totally does. And I don't know, maybe that was a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because when she received that prophecy or that fortune telling, she then started again. How do I protect myself from this? Right. And that drove her even more into her research and her studying, which is where she found the alchemy connection of offering the human sacrifice to save her son. And so maybe it was self-fulfilling, but it did happen. Either way, it is very creepy, like you said. Yep. During her time in prison, Leonardo thrived. The structured environment was predictable and comforting for her. Because of her crime, she was notorious and sought out by the other inmates because of her ability to tell stories, read poems, and bake really delicious things. Oh, I would not be taking anything from her. I'd be like, no, girl, I'm good. No, thanks. 
Leonardo just enjoyed the attention so much. Yeah, I bet. Mm -hmm. Well, she had never really received that her whole life. No. In her reflective time during her incarceration, she wrote a 700-page autobiography called The Confessions of an Embittered Soul, complete with recipes that are still now regarded by top Italian chefs as the most historically accurate baking techniques of traditional Italian dishes. Wow. So she was good at her craft, mm -hmm. just she, minus the blood. That's right. She was a perfectionist, and so she really was good at the things that she tried to do. Huh. So do I need to get a hold of some of these recipes for the cakes that I make? <laughs> no blood cakes, Christy. <laughs> no, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> her autobiography makes some pretty outrageous claims that not all of them can actually be confirmed. But for sure, the book attracted the attention that Leonardo desperately craved. At the end of her 30-year prison sentence, with her health deteriorating, Leonardo was transferred to the asylum, and there she died on October 15, 1970, at the age of 76, just one year before she was supposed to be released. She died in her sleep. Physicians reviewing her cause of death found small brain bleeds that they believed to have been caused from caustic soda vapors. From making the soaps. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit of poetic justice right there. Yeah. None of her children claimed her body and her personal items were donated to the Criminology Museum in Rome. No way. Mm -hmm. The hammer, hacksaw, kitchen knives, axe, hatchet, and trivet that were all material evidence can be viewed there along with the boiling pot. That's so crazy. Well, I'm glad it didn't go up for auction and make money and that kind of thing. If it's going to be anywhere, a museum is a good place for it. Yeah, it is preserved and you can see it in Rome. Well, if we ever go together, we'll have to go and check it out. <laughs> it can't be confirmed if Leonardo actually did outlive her four remaining children. Oh, I was just going to ask that if that curse came true or not. We don't well, know. You said that they didn't claim her body, though. So some children were alive. Her body just was never claimed. We know her husband died, and so the only people left to claim her body were her children. Okay, so you don't know if it was because they just didn't want anything to do with her or if they really had passed away. That's right. Interesting. So the three younger children, Bernardo, Baggio, and Norma, are believed to have changed their names soon after the trial. Yeah, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Giuseppe did make an appearance at the trial, but no traceable record can be found of him after that. Interesting. So we don't know if they died before her or after her, but she actually lived quite long. Yeah, she did. Mm -hmm. So the chances of them not could have been increased. Yeah. And you can't blame those kids for changing their name because how terrible to have that following you everywhere that you went. Yeah, no blame on them. But still a little bit of a slap in the face for their mom. If she really did truly do all of this just to protect them and then they don't even like claim her body at the end. It's true. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> Only if you've gone through it can you understand what that would be like to have your mother as a serial killer. We can't pass judgment on how they react to it. If they embrace it, if they run away from it, however they decide to deal is how they get to decide to deal. Oh yeah, I totally agree. But that is the case of the cursed soap-making helicopter parent dirtbag Leonardo Cianciulli, the mother who murdered three women for human sacrifices to protect her child. Wow, that was a wild ride. It gives you new meaning to what would you do to protect your child? Yeah, not that. <laughs> I think anybody would do whatever they had to if your child was in immediate danger. But this was not rational, even though she perceived it as such. And the whole time I was researching this case, I was thinking that your beliefs really do predict your actions. Oh, yeah. Your beliefs are your reality. Mm -hmm. And your reality does inspire your decision making. 
Yeah. And I totally believe 100% for Leonardo that she believed that there was a curse and this was the only way that she was going to protect her son. It's true. And it is really sad because she lives such a tough life. Mm -hmm. Like I was starting to think, yeah, yeah, honey, you do have a curse. (laughs) There is just so many things to affirm that to her. Right. And her motive for murder, I don't think was the financial gain, was totally just to save her son. You think so? Yeah. I think that was a lucky bonus. She was smart and she was a perfectionist. So if she was going to do it, she wasn't going to let all that go to waste. And I think most of our listeners would agree with that. Yeah. But we'll let them tell us. Yeah. Listeners, you can let us know on our social media if you agree. And Christy will be back with us next week with another case. Until then. See ya. Bye. I waited till Melissa put a chocolate in her mouth to start recording. I have no self-control when it comes to chocolate. <laughs> and the worst is that we're coming up to Halloween. I know. And so there's so much chocolate available. <laughs> we're actually eating Halloween treat-sized chocolates because it doesn't seem like you're eating as much. That's right. But when you eat 80 of them. <laughs> then you might have been better off just eating a full-size bar. That's right. <laughs> because Leonardo Chichina... Chit? Oh, I chat, chai, and chit. <laughs> it's the first name. And already, you had this one ready to I go. I know, and I knew how to say it until I tried to say it in a sentence. You know Chianchielli. how to say You know how to say it until we're recording it. I know. <laughs> the train. Oh, I think you'll hear the train. train. <laughs> I just got through that sentence. I know. I don't know how to say this word. Hold on, but I have it up. Where did it go? Not that one. I already said that word. Boop, boop. Done. Check. That was her whole brain sequence out loud. (laughs) (laughs) If you ever wanted to know the inner workings of Melissa's brain, you just witnessed it. (laughs) With bread bread sheets. (laughs) We are in Italy. (laughs) The bread is amazing in Italy. (laughs) Mange, mange. (laughs) Leonardo. Leonardo. Not Leonardo. It's not a Ninja Turtle. Romani. 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 Okay, I got it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> we have a male guest on our podcast today. Romani. Although listening to an Italian male is not a bad thing. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a smile on my face. <laughs> Christy's daydreaming over yeah, there. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping you do. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. 
And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.